do hope so. I like my volunteers to die with smiles on their faces. to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. And I'm Keith. We've been devouring the latest 8th Doctor box set from Big Finish and we'll be fully digesting it on this episode. First, we're going to talk about the new range of B&M Bargains action figures. Mm, if you can find them. Yeah, this is it. They've, uh, they see a lot of talk on Twitter about how difficult they are to track down. And we have three B&M stores in Carlisle and we've sort of looked at them as almost obsessive keeping yeah. in contact with each other, haven't we? <laughs> And yeah. we still haven't found a Pertwee police box. No Pertwee police boxes to be found in car, but everything else, but not that one. I'm taking some solace from the fact that there doesn't seem to be a gap on the shelves where they were hmm. with a 1999 sticker. So I don't think we've had them in Carlisle. I don't think that some scalper's gone in and beat us to it. The irony is I didn't even particularly want it <laughs> until I couldn't get it. Now I can't get it. I actually want it. So. I'm, I'm, I always wanted it, but now that I can't get it, I really, really want it. Yeah, it's the perversity of just like, I can't have it, so now I really want it. But yeah. I'm not going to get it off eBay. I'm determined I'm not going to waste money buying there. I'll, I shall stumble across it, I'm sure, eventually. No, definitely not. They're going for crazy prices on eBay. Yeah. Uh, you sent me one that went for over £1,000. Yeah, I don't know how genuine that was. I think people can bid and not always pay, don't they? But uh, it did seem to be an extraordinary amount of money. And you see pictures of people buying loads and loads and loads of them. Yeah. And not for prizes, I believe, but for personal gain. Yes. There's a subtle hint for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the one way that you can beat the scalpers is to enter our competition, uh, which was announced on the last episode. You can win the 12th Doctor set, which features Missy, the 12th Doctor, and Bill, simply by leaving us a review on iTunes before the 26th of September. And that's open worldwide. Forgot to mention that last time. Anywhere in the world. So the ones you do have, which ones do you like? So, the ones that we have been able to get hold of, I haven't bought the Matt Smith set. I'm not too bothered about that one. I might pick it up at some point. I'd already got the figures in different forms anyway, to be honest. I've even got the Clara Roswald already. So. Yeah. Although people do tell me that the actual B&M's one is better than the original one and ah. seeing comparison pictures I actually believe that yeah. it seems a bit uh, I don't know if they painted it differently or what but it actually the, the face appears better but because um, it's the Oswin version isn't it from Asylum of the Daleks it is yeah, yeah. Uh, you've got the Torth Doctor in his snowman costume I think minus the hat this time yeah because he's got a uh, he had a top hat in the uh, original version ah right and then Amy Pond in Amy Pond in different Amy style yeah that's it short skirt top stuff yeah hair eyes then you've got the 70s set, which is probably my favourite. Yes, I like one. This has got the Brigadier um, in his sort of season seven fatigues, I suppose you'd say. It's from in, yeah, from Invasion until... Um, he's, he's still got it on in the um, Inferno, I think, hasn't he? Then he yeah. I, I like this figure a lot. I think facially, even like his expression. His I'm mustache. told it's John Barrowman's body and the Claws of Axel's head. But uh, it works right. really well. I mean, you, <laughs> if you didn't know, you couldn't genuinely couldn't tell. You? Apparently, you can, if you look carefully, you can see the um, RAF thing under his um, uh, his medal patches. But uh, I think you'd have to look very carefully. Uh, actually, yeah, like a pair of wings. Yeah, and apparently Autumn's the same body as well, <laughs> differently painted. But again, to be fair, yeah, they both have sort of two breast pockets, a belt, um, kind of open at the collar with some kind of. Scarf. So Captain Jack gets everywhere. 
Yeah. Uh, so the Autons, well, he's from Terror of the Autons. Is it? Or is it just a head from spearhead from space? <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's a, it's a good figure. Yeah. The original one was in a box set for Third Doctor Things, and it was a very expensive set, that was. You got, like, mm. the Drashig and... Um, Oh, something else. I've got the Drashig, I've got that separately. Yeah, and the, uh, the Autumn was in that, and the Spirits of Space style, and uh, that, it's a remarkable uh, yeah. bargain. Well, B&M bargain. It's a B&M bargain. <laughs> and he's got his, uh, his handgun open as well, mm-hmm. ready to fire, uh, which is quite cool. Which looks better than the uh, New Who um, Autumn dollies, because they just had this, this twisted round hand, which didn't look very good, really, so this is uh, yeah. a vast improvement. And you've got Tom Baker in his Talons of Wen Chiang Garb, Minus uh, his hat. Without the deer stalker. Um, but yeah, again, good likeness, I think. It's a repainted uh, Pertwee body, but it looks really, really good. Ah, right. Is that right? Yeah. That Apparently, nice. uh, you, his cuffs are painted to look match his jacket. Right. Which oh, you yeah. can just sort of tell. And it's just a regular Pertwee cape painted to the colours, but it looks really good. I didn't realise that. So yeah, he does have frills on his cuffs, uh, which I hadn't noticed before, which is quite Pertwee, isn't it? Yeah, but... You, to be honest, who cares? It looked really good at yeah. a distance. You can't tell anyway, and uh, it's nice to have a different variant of the, um, the Tom Baker figure as well. Because I mean, not that there isn't a lot of them already, but uh, and I have seen people put scarves on it. It looks really good. Yeah. <laughs> I've got two Tom Bakers already. I've got the one that came with the Twelve Doctors. No, well, at the time it would have been the Eleven Doctors set, and I've got the one that you could buy from Pyramids of Mars, where he's holding the. Dimensional stabiliser. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are With two. a brown coat, yeah. Yeah. I am told the head comes off, so you can swap it. If you've got a, a changeable head, you can pull it off. But I've not risked it, just in case it's not true. Yeah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I don't want to risk it. I'm not a risk my figure. No, definitely not. Uh, so then, the 12th Doctor set comes with, as I mentioned, Bill and Missy. The 12th Doctor is wearing... So. lovely maroon uh, coat he's got the only thing he hasn't got is the waistcoat he's supposed to have with the costume but again I can live with that one and which story is that from? I think it's um, it's latterly uh, I mean season his second season isn't it? I think towards the end season when he's um, trapped in the oh in the so I think I may be wrong about that but the, uh, the, um, the dial the mm-hmm. confession dial but it's the first figure I've got with the, with the bigger hair because all the ones that I had previously yes. was from his first series this is my first figure I bought with um the fuller hairdo. I've got one of the Capaldi figure, and that was the first one they released that was just the, the white shirt, mm. black jacket. Uh, it was just because I don't have that many figures, really, but because I, I got the 11 Doctor seller, I thought I've got to buy the 12th Doctor to, uh, to stand with the rest of them. All I've, I've got, the, apart from these ones that I've got, got all the Doctors, got a few different Daleks, and a few different Cybermen, because last year, B&M Bargains brought out a Cybermen set, didn't they? Yeah, had, they, um, they had two, they had the 80s Cyberman, which looks great. Uh, the Tomb Cyberman. The, uh, it was the Cyber Patrol, wasn't it? Yeah. Tomb, yeah. Um, and I'd... Was there a previously a set then? I, I think there was the... Um, there was previously a B&M. Yeah, there was one set, with a yeah. Invasion Cyberman on it, but that was the one with Ice Warrior and something else, wasn't it? I think B&M might have previously done the one that had three Cybermen in it. I might be wrong. I think they did. I don't know. As soon as I take them home, I take them out of the box, so it's academic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, they have um, to be played with... So the Missy one looks pretty cool. I think this is um, this is the same as the previous one, but without a hat, I believe, as well. Yeah, the original purple one had a hat, and the black one, I think, didn't. So I think it's the black frock head with the, the purple um, ah. frock. But uh, it looks really good. And the Bill one, I think, is a highlight, I think, 
facially, they've really captured her. Mm-hmm. Um, the hair and everything like that. And now they're actually going to release it as a figure. Um, slightly different uh, paint on the top to look like, I think, the, the character in the pilot, I think, or the other way around, I can't remember. Is this the Amazon exclusive one? Yeah, but I thought, well, being in beaten them. Yeah. To be honest, I probably won't buy the Amazon one because I think this figure's excellent. Yeah, yeah, I do as well. Um, and it's nice to have a bill. It's not quite the same as the one that Pill Mackie had on the uh, top of her Christmas tree. No. That's the one that's going to be the Amazon one, apparently. But uh, no, uh, I mean, just excellent. I mean, for £15 for three figures, including one, which is... Like, yeah, uh, the only one you can get. You, in so, effect, isn't it? So. Uh, yeah. It's a bit grumpy, though. I think they could have made her smile a little bit, I think. Because she was quite a... Yeah. <laughs> she looks very serious. But, uh, quite a smiley companion, yeah. You might get a smiley variant later. So I think she's the only companion I've got. Apart from K9. K9. In, uh, in figure form. Ooh. Well, they said they weren't going to do any for a while, and then they quickly changed their mind, didn't they? Yeah. So still just waiting for a Nardole then, I guess. That'll be good. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah, what, Leela's and Sarah Jane's and Aces? I was surprised you didn't get an Ace, knowing your uh, um, seventh Doctor proclivities. And then... Uh, I've, got, um, I've got a Dapol Ace, or Daypol, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It's called the Hulking Rock? Yeah. I've got the... Because uh, I was only about... I guess 12 or something like that when they came out. And one Christmas I got the Daypol TARDIS, the TARDIS console. I got a seventh Doctor and an ace. So the good news, I think, for the BMM, they have been so popular, they have been selling out. So with luck, there'll be others along the way because um, they've certainly been selling out in a lot of places. Yeah. I mean, the ones in Carlisle disappeared very quickly, especially the first time they put them out. They've, I think uh, I literally messaged you and I think you got the last ones before on the same day, was it? Like did. an hour later or that something? That was a so. very, very timely message, yeah. yeah. I, I just jumped in the car and drove straight down. <laughs> Not obsessive at <laughs> all. <laughs> Could have been my only chance to get them. Mm. Yeah, I think um, loads of places still have that ninth Doctor set, yeah. <laughs> which came out yeah. last year. Do you remember when the first series figs came out? There was always a werewolf everywhere. That was yeah. where the last set out. And uh, I think the ninth Doctor's become like the new equivalent of the werewolf figure, yeah. hasn't it? Yeah. It's like, I haven't got any of those... Three and a half or three and three quarter inch ones. But apparently, the Scorebox Blitzer was the one that there was um, when Toys R Us was closing down. Tons of Scorebox Scorebox Blitzers were left in uh, in the the kind of selling. I got that from uh, there was a shop in Kilner, like a pound shopping place, was selling all like all the little figures. So I bought them all, but uh, uh, I don't think I've ever bothered them in <laughs> in anger. But uh, yeah. they're not very popular, are they? No, and I don't think they're doing any more. Are they? No, no. Hopefully, they'll go back to these. So what we need is a thirteenth. Doctor in five and a half inch form to complete the set now. Well, I got the email to say to say about my we have big uh, uh, new um, Jodie Whittaker dolly is going to be arriving. It's been dispatched, so probably should be getting that this week. But oh, is that the ten inch? The uh, taller one, yeah. Right. Which I have to say looks better than the incredibly expensive one you can get. Yeah. So uh, we'll see what it's like in real life, of course. But uh, so I shall have that Doctor represented in dolly form. Just too big. They sort of announced a slew of them, didn't they? Um, but not the five and a half inch ones. So you've mm. got the, the little Titan vinyl ones. But I have seen the, the five and a half inch ones. So it's obviously going to be released. Yeah. People have got prototypes and stuff, or whether they're just like making their own. Because I have seen people. There's a um, primeval figure of a woman who wears like clots with blonde hair. And people have done sort of like custom jobs on that. Ah, and some right. of them are incredibly good. Yeah. But, uh, that takes more skill than I would. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly more patience and time, so uh, I won't be doing that. But uh. Definitely. But something I was thinking about is it, it reminds me a bit of when I was a, a fan in the wilderness years and Doctor Who stuff wasn't very available and you'd have to kind of go looking for it and find it. It's, or mail order. 
specialist shops and things. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah, there was a, there was a place called Burton's Books where I used to buy oh. absolutely tons of stuff from through mail order. They I must have advertised in Doctor Who magazine. They do remember like that. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it feels like this year we've had the the two vinyls that that Big Finish released through Sainsbury's and HMV. We had Energy of the Daleks and um, Infamy of the Zaros, which sold out day one. The Twelfth Doctor Blu-ray box set. I mean, I did miss the boat with that. I could have got one, but I uh, <laughs> I was a fool. I thought I'd, I'll get that for Christmas. There's no rush. Didn't realize how limited edition it was. Every day uh, is Christmas. Just remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Can't get hold of these. Can't get hold of these figures. There's just, um, yeah, it feels it feels like things are scarce, scarce, doesn't it? Well, I mean, one consolation I got. Uh, I know people who live in big cities with massive stores, and they've not been able to get the uh, Pertwee one either. So uh, yeah, it's obviously very rare. Yeah, and I suppose if people are buying them on mass as well, you don't get much of a chance either. So. Yeah, that's the tricky thing. If if they uh, and you don't know if the if the staff in there have kind of got wind of the fact that they can turn a bit of a profit on them, they might never hit the shelves. I suppose. Oh, well, good luck to them. They work in B and M. But it would be nice to get older one. I, I would quite like one. As I say, I didn't want one. Do now. Mm. That's the perversity of uh, who fandom us. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Uh, I only want it because I can't have it. So, um, what other news have we had? Uh, anything caught your eye in the world of Doctor Who? I mentioned this series 19 been announced on Blu-ray. We've got that pre-ordered. Yes, so and me. Yes, I have so to do the, the um, advert with uh, Janet Fielding. I thought it was marvellous. That really did make me laugh. Yeah, uh, like Especially that. with uh, Peter Davison and Sarah Sutton in the background. <laughs> that was lovely. So uh, Very much in the style of the five-ish Doctors. Yeah. And, uh, Peter just Davison. spent a lot of money on it as well because I've seen sort of like um, they've recreated things from Earthshock and things like that with Cybermen and Walls and things. So, yeah, whatever the extras are going to be, they've obviously put a lot of uh, money and effort into it. So. I saw that tweet. Yeah, there's yeah. some of the sets and, and things that they've built for the for the behind the scenes. Yeah, and actually surprised everybody as well. I think um, and a copy of Doctor Monthly, Doctor Monthly. How old am I? Doctor <laughs> Magazine had come out and uh, sort of blown the gap a bit for the official announcement. Ah, right. I think the popular money was on season eighteen because people involved in that had been. So like putting like tweets and things about oh we've been meeting up and filming this and then people are going haha season eighteen so when it turned out to be season nineteen I think people were genuinely surprised and yeah. probably delighted as well. It also means regeneration stories are like becoming the thing to have on Blu-ray as well because we've got like the Doctor Who movie and Spear from Space <laughs> as well. So uh, yeah, that's so true. Come on, time of the rally. <laughs> oh, maybe not. Um, we've also potentially got the news that Doctor Who is coming back on the twenty third of September, which one of the one of the newspapers has. The Times? Yeah, I think it might have been. The so Times little box. <laughs> yeah. Um, with an awful little thing saying, is this something like Doctor Who? Mm. A woman, that's who, or something like that. Yeah. It's a terrible sort of little uh, introduction. See you on the Twitter yeah. Board, yeah. So, yeah, there's... And it's, I mean, this is very unusual, but it's divided people on, on Doctor Who Twitter. It's divided people on Doctor Who Twitter, you say? It's hard to that believe. That never happens. I, I, I couldn't believe there was a schism, yeah. But, um, so... <laughs> There are some people who think, yeah, it's moving to Sunday. Well, there's, there's loads of then kind of um, sub-schisms of people who think that Sunday's a great idea and people say, no, it's the worst thing that's going to happen. They're trying to kill it. They're trying to bury it. Um, recasting and spending all that money on it. Yeah. They're really trying to destroy this by, uh, yeah. Yeah, by filming it and spending a huge fortune on it. People never quite got over the cancellations, have they? Nope. Uh, but yeah, so but then other people are saying, but the press preview isn't until the twenty fourth of September, and that's always about two weeks before the series is released. So, so they're going back in time. It's not going to be that, and the Times have got it wrong. Mm-hmm. But if it was on a Sunday, would that bother you? 
only in terms of recording a podcast, Sunday's quite a handy day for me, especially when I've got people in America um, with the time difference. But um, in terms of viewing enjoyment uh, and anything else, it wouldn't bother me at all. Especially as you were a view in the 80s, where actually it was midweek, majority of the time. Absolutely, it? yeah. I think they only had three years, but it was actually on a Saturday in the entire 80s, wasn't it? So uh, when I only saw season, season 18 and the two Colin Baker years, and that yeah. was the only ones on a Saturday for the entire of, uh, of a decade. So. I only saw 25 and 26 when they went out, but that was mm. a Wednesday evening, I remember. That's because you were so young. That is true. Very young. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't... I mean, and the other thing is, I'd, I'd prefer to go out in October because I'm going on holiday at the end of September. Uh, it's all so me, me, me. My <laughs> podcast, my holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so, for purely selfish reasons, I'd rather it went out on a Saturday in October... So that I don't miss the, the start of the season and I can record podcasts on a Sunday. In that case, I'd rather went out on a Wednesday because I always get Wednesdays off. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, but other than that, I, I don't care. I don't really, I think, there's this idea, isn't it? Well, not an idea, but there's a, to be a Doctor Who fan on Twitter and so on and social media, you have to be uh, an expert in scheduling, casting, Writing, script editing. Everybody everything. knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Yeah. I mean, I've got a friend who knows somebody who works for the BBC who had it on good authority that David Tennant was coming back as the next Doctor. <laughs> and I thought, no, it won't be. But no, no, he knew somebody who knew somebody. And you think, yeah. well, that's how these things start. And to be honest, this thing in the paper, it's probably some lazy journo just looked at a load of tweets and oh, that must be true, and um, has reported it as fact. Yeah, it becomes a, uh, it becomes a cycle then, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, because it's probably somebody's cousin's auntie who's vaguely related to Chris Chibnall or something, so... Uh, yeah. Um, but that would only be a couple, well, about three, four weeks away, wouldn't it, I guess, mm-hmm. if, that's, uh, if that's true. And the nights are drawing in. Perfect mm-hmm. Doctor Who time. That's it. And a lot of big dramas are often on a... It's Sunday. I suppose particularly kind of ITV have success, or I've had success with Downton Abbey and that kind of thing. And A, does it actually matter? Because hardly anybody actually watches television when it's broadcast anymore. I would say Doctor Who is the only thing that I watch when it's broadcast. Mm. Uh, so for the, for, the, for the casual viewer, who obviously we've always got half an eye on yeah. <laughs> Doctor Who fans, it wouldn't matter, would it? No. I mean, as a shift yeah. worker, I've last, especially the last few series, I've probably missed as many live as I watched them at other times, though. Yeah. And... Does it bother me? No, not really. You just have to keep off social media until you've watched it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. And then, so, some sad news as we record today, uh, mm. that Michael Pickwood, the production designer over Series 7 onwards, or from The, the Snowman onwards, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, a surprise. He was only 73. He was probably somebody that people know from interviews and conventions mm-hmm. about probably where he was very amusing and very approachable as an individual. Um, I suppose there's any consolation for the family. There's been a quite a, an outpouring of grief online and some lovely tributes paid, which, let's face it, the majority of designers for majority of television shows doesn't happen. No. So, so if there's any consolation, I suppose that's it. But and unlike the majority of television... Doctor Who will be poured over for decades to come, won't it? Mm. it doesn't, it's not just kind of broadcast and then forgot about. But it's a really nice tribute. Uh, there's loads of nice tributes, but Stephen Moffat's was particularly nice. Yes, I that. Yes, it was... Uh, the official BBC website. Uh, Mark Gatiss um, mm-hmm. put some lovely... Look, um, Rachel Talalay, she seems particularly upset by it. She yeah. Was, uh, um, she's put some quite um, heartfelt uh, things on social media about him, plus um, some nice photographs and 
personal reminiscence as well. So. Yeah. Mm. I think that TARDIS set is my, my favourite of the new series. It's amazing, it's yeah. Post-2005. Just really so, nice. So solid and so... Um, there's nothing, never a boring shot in it. Was it always no. something interesting. Really nice. I think it was Mark Gatiss that was saying when the TARDIS was in flight in particular, it was amazing to be in there. Mm. Um, and people, I mean, have visited it. I mean, have you seen it? When you no, went? unfortunately, uh, yeah, the couple of times I've been out in the car, if the set tours weren't open that day, but I would have loved to have yeah. so, gone aboard. Yeah, sad news. I mean, yeah. I mean, 73 is no age, especially nowadays, is it? Yeah. So, uh, I think it's always sad when you hear news of people who've worked on, on Doctor Who passing away. But we are kind of used to that, especially because it's, it's such an old show now. Yeah, I was going to say, but, but it's... Somebody so, Connected to New Who, then that that was more of a surprise, I think. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I think it, we we're used to it with the with the older series, aren't we? Um, <laughs> I once suggested the Doctor Who magazine should be um, retitled Obituary because yeah. <laughs> that's practically some editions that all it ever seemed to be. It's like yeah, that's it. Uh, but yeah, there's with the new series, it's uh, it, it yeah somehow sadder, isn't it? Yeah. You know, his contribution will live on because it will be watched forever, basically, won't it? So. Absolutely, yeah. There's uh, people will be, I mean, people obviously still pouring over photos. You know, you see Clayton Hickman's Twitter feed. It's uh, it, it's full of the original TARDIS consoles. There'll be, you know, the next generation will be pouring over photos mm. and reconstructing things from this one. I love a console room. So I'm yeah, to say his was one of the best. So, you know. <laughs> They've, um, I know there's been some leaked photos of the new one, hasn't there? I've, I've avoided them so far. I, yeah, unfortunately, something I, I follow on Facebook actually just put them there and put spoilers, but actually this didn't give any gap or anything, so yeah. I have seen it, yeah, so. But it was a production still. It wasn't sort of like lit or anything, so uh, right. it's hard to judge, but um, yeah. it's got more of a vibe from the um, early New Who one, but again, you can't really tell because yeah, it looked a bit uh, dark and... It wasn't, obviously wasn't lit, the console was dark and stuff like that. So. Uh, someone sneaked in with their phone or something. Yeah, they probably want the production crew, because now they're wrapped, haven't they? So, basically, they've got uh, nothing to lose now. They can go yeah. where <laughs> So, better than not going back to the series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that. So, Ravenous... Mm-hmm. Nom, nom, nom. ...is the, uh, the box that we're going to discuss today. This is the new, or the latest... Well, the ever-ongoing saga of the Eighth Doctor, yeah. He's gone from sort of like uh, mainstream, re- uh, main range releases now. He's purely box sets. Yeah. He's got two com- current ones now. He's got this sort of, um, these adventures with Helen and Livchenko, and he's got now the Time War, which is developing into a separate. Yeah, strand, isn't it? So, uh, you take your money, you take your, uh, you pick them <laughs> as you go. Um, so, this is the most recent one of the uh, Ravenous. Uh, Ravenous is the most recent one, rather. So it picks up from the cliffhanger of Doom Coalition 4, doesn't it? Good uh, business sense, yes, yeah. well, uh, <laughs> um, so that that kind of ended. Helen and the um, 11 had uh, sort of gone off, well, gone off in kidnapped the, in effect, but the 11's uh, yeah. TARDIS. they had she, been separated at least, yeah. She absorbed the powers of the Sonomancer, yeah, you know, I completely forgotten that. Yeah, so, I, so when actually we came to that bit of it and they were talking about that, what the hell was that? Yeah, because <laughs> I think now there is so much big finish. That you cannot, with the original ones, you'd be like one every, Richard, it was like one every two months. Yeah. And you'd pour over it and learn every detail and learn it off by heart. I mean, things like Sirens of Time, I could probably quote verbatim if I tried. Yeah. But uh, right. with these box sets, you too tend to listen once or maybe twice at best. And then you don't always remember what's gone on previously. And it must be quite alienating for new listeners as well, because if you pick that up mm. as your first big finished purchase, because say you'd seen The Candyman with the difficult. 
Yeah. I remember them all. Um, you wouldn't recognise them from the box, to be fair. No, true. And um, you would be a bit baffled initially, I think. There's Yeah, there's quite a few ongoing things. The the relationship with the Eleven uh, and that kind of thing. The uh, uh, As you say, yeah, Helen's, on, Helen's ongoing travails. Mm. Uh, so... The first story in the set is called The Finest Hour, written by John Dorney, a uh, very regular writer for... Very regular writer. Yes. For, for Big Finish, he uh, he's, uh, does a lot of contributions for them, doesn't he? He does. But very, very good. We've got a crossover from their uh, other ranges. We've got Churchill Yeah. in his wartime setting. I haven't heard any of the... The Churchill Diaries, isn't it? The, the box Constantly, is it? Yeah. There's a car Always, they're very entertaining. They've... Um, even though the Doctor like the Doctor features in the majority of them, um, they get around his sort of absence of speaking usually quite well. He's sort of like talking, he's reminiscing to somebody, or he's writing a letter or a diary entry or something like that. So, ah, right. So they get around it that way, and they tend to have characters from uh, like uh, other stories. They've had Madame Buster in one, and they've had um, Sardak, is it, from the uh, Christmas Carol? And he's been in yeah, The Young Lad He Takes Back in Time all the time. He, he yeah. Did, him and they met the dogs and things so they get around the absence of the doctor quite cleverly right so is it just Ian McNeese narrating them basically they don't have other cast yeah, members yeah it's usually right. his reminiscence or yeah, ah, it's usually, um, right. thinking about the past yeah but uh, all the uh, all the modern doctors have been featured right yeah because it's set a year before Victory of the Daleks isn't it so when he talks about he said I wasn't expecting this but version of the Doctor. I wondered if that was a reference to another big finish. It's um, a big continuity thing because there's two books where Churchill met the Sixth Doctor. There's one called Players, which is a Terence Dickon with the yeah, um, and there's another one I've written elsewhere, uh, Shadow in the Glass, where uh, Churchill, I think the Brigadier's involved as well, and Hitler's involved. So they all so the, it's in a way sort of alluding to the fact that the six the Sixth Doctor knew him as well, and I think even then they sort of alluded that previous Doctors yeah. have stumbled across him in the past as well. So have they both got re-released? Didn't they? It's, uh, one was an audio book, I think, wasn't it? And I think was re-released as an audio book, I think. And oh yeah, no, I think they both came out. I think they both yeah, got so when when uh, BBC books were re-releasing some of the um, BBC got covers and sizes. Yeah, yes, yeah, and, and on shelves. <laughs> yeah, they did some of the Virgin books as well because they did sort of Scales of Injustice, didn't they? Which are I think it was Virgin. They did an audio book with uh, India Fisher. She was reading Shadow in the Glass. Yeah. I'm sure that came out as one of the 50th anniversary re-releases. Hmm. Yes, because I, yeah, I think it was uh, new covers and things, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if I got around to reading that one. I, w- I would have read it when it came out originally as a, as a past Doctor adventure or a missing, missing adventure. But even in this story, you got the you got the impression that they knew each other anyway. So that was sort of like good continuity with that, yeah. Yeah. And Churchill trying to get hints and uh, <laughs> yeah. about the future. Yeah, that uh, that ties in nicely with victory of the Daleks, doesn't it? That he uh, he, he wants to know a little bit about how, how the war will play out, and he wants access to the TARDIS um, because he knows how powerful it could be helping him. Well, the main focus of this is on um, Polish uh, fighter pilots, and I have to confess, I knew. Very little about this party, well, nothing at all actually. So, it wasn't until I heard this, I realised that the uh, actually quite massive contribution of Polish pilots made, in, especially in the Battle of Britain. So, uh, it's keeping its educational remit, which is good. Yeah, I, I sort of was vaguely aware that we had pilots from all over the world joining the RAF during that period. But, um, yeah, it's quite interesting because they've got a, a sort of a, a squadron of Polish pilots who aren't being used because the RAF don't have a particularly high opinion of them because. 
they didn't stand up long to the Luftwaffe, but mm-hmm. there was other factors involved in that. So, uh, and this is kind of them proving themselves to Churchill uh, because the they're, they're drafted in to help the Doctor and live defeat the space aliens. Yeah. So, so basically, the we open with the Doctor and Liv are looking for Helen. The Doctor sets the TARDIS doing some calculations to follow the Eleventh TARDIS, but they're going to take a while. And in the meantime, his phone rings, um, which. Yeah, he's a bit like the eleventh Doctor as well, isn't he? He's got the phone built into the console. He says not many people have got the the number, and he thinks it might be Ringo Starr, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Bizarrely. Yeah, peace and love. Um, but it's it's Churchill again, so they so they call him in, and Liv has no idea who he is. Yeah. I think that is brilliant. There's a whole running theme in it, isn't that she's got no idea, and he doesn't know whether to be charmed by this or offended, doesn't he? He's, yeah. really, he's really perplexed by the fact that somebody doesn't know him. <laughs> yeah, because he introduces himself, yeah. obviously hoping and thinking that she's going to say, yeah, I know who you are. Um, I suppose a bit like the um, the Prime Minister in the in the Tenant era. Mm, and uh, he's just sort of like, uh, hello. <laughs> yeah. He says, your companions normally seem more, <laughs> more surprised or more impressed. To more impressed, you. yeah. Um, so what's happening is that, that various RAF squadrons are being shot down by some kind of invisible craft. They can just sort of see a heat haze, which is a, some kind of a cloaking device. So recognising that this is not of this earth, the doctor, uh, Churchill calls the Doctor in. And I was quite amused by the fact that the aliens are called the Hellion and they're looking for Helen. So I don't know if that was deliberate or not. Ah, right, yeah, I didn't pick it up. So, the, yeah, the, the Doctor and Liv get these planes and they fit them with a force field uh, to protect them because they realize it's a heat ray that this, this alien craft is using uh, and they take turn flying sorties to go and try and find it. Lives uh, gets sort of a bit of a relationship with one of the pilots, doesn't she? Sort of, sort of a, a, a camaraderie, I suppose. And uh, Yeah. Because she's quite taken by the fact that the, uh, the craft are so um, exposed and she can see views and stuff. So all the craft she's used to it was quite... Uh, more futuristic, but not quite as um, yeah. as exciting, probably. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, you can't see anything from inside the TARDIS, can you? I suppose. And she's from the future, so she's used to ships as a regular um, yeah. spaceship, and flying, but uh, not like this. So then they get attacked by the the mysterious craft. Um, once the the heat ray has has been deflected, they fire something else, and it seems like they've been shot down. So the Doctor and his Polish pilot. Names which you can pronounce. I'm going to have a look. Is it Jan and Wilhelm? 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 It is, yeah, Wilhelm and Jan. Um, I can't remember who, who pilots who. I think Wilhelm pilots the Doctor and Jan pilots Liv, actually. I think I can hear Liv saying Jan. <laughs> uh, so. It's like Cumbrian for one, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Jan Tan Tether. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, Cumbrian accent there. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so basically the, uh, what, what we've learned is that the aliens, the Hellion... Ins- incredibly lazy aliens. Yeah, so instead of, when they've got a conflict on their own planet, instead of fighting each other because they realise that's very costly and it costs lives as well... Money and stuff, yeah. They each pick a side on a conflict on an alien world... Find a war and bet on it, basically. Yeah. Yes, and the winner of the war... Resolves their um, conflict. Yeah, which I suppose is a bit like the kind of uh, like the Korean War was kind of a bit of a proxy war, wasn't it, between the Americans and the USSR? So True. they weren't yeah. either directly fighting, but they were sort of each backing the the North or the South. Um, but yeah, or, or like gambling, I suppose, just to let you say on one side. 
Yeah, so. it's there's a Blake Seven story where um, there's two planets, and um, it's a season three story, and uh, basically they just pick a champion, and they go to settle a war. They're just like the two people just fight, and the winner of yeah. that um, does it. It reminded me of that, but yeah, I still don't know if it would actually work because really, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's it'd be a bit uh, random, wouldn't it? Yeah, you'd th- you'd wonder how they. Whether they just had a free choice or one of them got to pick first, or they, uh, <laughs> they sort pick of get out of the hat, yeah. There's like top trumps, and they, they got to sort of pick the statistics of each side or something like that. So, yeah, like, this doesn't isn't very impressed by them, is she really? She's no, uh, Liv is uh, um, scathing, and the doctor's not very impressed either. So, as yeah. enemies, they just come across as like mildly irritating, or yeah. <laughs> so they're forbidden, obviously, to, to interfere in the conflict and then throw it either way. But this is a rogue faction. You've come to Earth, and the reason that they're cloaked is not because they don't want the humans to see them, it's because they don't want their own people to see them, because it would be against the rules. Uh, and they're obviously working for the side that have backed the Germans, so they're shooting down the RAF and blowing up sort of weapons depots and that kind of thing. The doctor's pretending to be um, like part of it, and says, uh, how yeah. do you know about this? Oh, spies, I think. Isn't it spies you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's quite good. He's, he sort of uh, lives, tells him a little piece of information about what he's overheard, and he pretends that he's with them. Uh, so basically, Liv uses the TARDIS to contact the home planet and ask them why they're attacking them, and that gives the game away in terms of yeah, what, what's gone on. So they, uh, they're taken away by their own people and punished. Mm-hmm. So. And then there's the non-twist at the end that one of the pilots gets killed, but in the actual war, not by the aliens, which, yeah. to be honest, I could see coming from a mile off, but uh, it's still affecting that a reminder that this is an actual war and not just sort of like... Uh, People actually were being killed in real life, and this thing is so it helped not trivialize the situation, I suppose, which yeah. I suppose it, he was in danger of doing. They did a similar thing in Victory of the Daleks, didn't they? With uh, I think one of the one of the people that worked with Churchill, did her husband get shot down or yeah, something yeah. like that as well? Yeah, because it's all quite kind of. And she's just basically told to pull herself together, isn't she? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but up to that point, it's quite kind of a uh, bit of a romp, isn't it? It's all kind yeah. of tally ho, and they were saying in the extras they're trying to. Um, they're making this new ravenous set slightly more standalone stories, yeah. Um, rather because I think I think Doom Coalition was slightly too uh, well, not slightly too. It was very focused on the actual um, ongoing storyline. I think this time they're trying to make it a bit more of a uh, um, less focus on yeah, the ravenous could, in every story, just having more um, standalone could, stories within it. Yeah, so you could pick up one box set. Yeah, <clears throat> I, mean, I love Doom Coalition. I, it was very intricate and interwoven, wasn't it? So the stuff was it the Red Lady, and then that turned out I to be the Son of Man. Oh, that at the was end. brilliant! That the Red yeah. Lady story was absolutely astonishing. That was that was a great one, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely a highlight. So this story I really enjoyed. I thought the sound design was excellent when they were doing the the planes were flying by and the dog fights. Yeah, um, it, yes, I mean it was as marvelous. And I most thing I most liked about it was Liv because I have to say I found her. Bit of a cold character, and I'm not really warm to it. But especially mm. uh, this last couple of uh, this story and the next one, I um, I found her much uh, more fun to be honest. Because she's I've always found her a very dour character. Yeah, she's I mean, very deadpan, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, I, mean, I mean to be fair, she comes from an absolutely horrible time. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, she's an escapee from a, a Dalek invasion, so she's not going to be sort of like fun and light. But uh, yeah, I enjoyed her more in this one because mm. whereas um, especially Charlie, I listen to those stories so often, and yeah. the character was so appealing. Whereas some of the uh, McGann later companions I found because um, I don't listen to them as frequently mm. and there's rather a lot of them now it's hard to yeah. get a grasp on them so much I like the Lucy Miller ones she's, she's good fun yeah again but she was like uh, very much a, 
um, a defined character, so you could grab onto her. Whereas yeah. Liv is harder because she's from the future. And B, she's quite a cool character. And I also find sometimes it's hard to tell her voice from Helen's. Because right. my hearing's not brilliant. So a couple of times I've mistaken... Right. I suddenly thought, they do sound very similar sometimes, and I've struggled yeah. a bit. They're both... Uh, the, the actresses uh, that play... Got Nicola Walker as Liv Chenka and Hattie Monaghan as Helen Sinclair, they're quite big names. In they the are. Right. I mean, especially Nicola Walker at the minute. You can't turn off the television without seeing her advertising something at the moment. She's, she's the lead in, in some... Scowling in dramas. <laughs> yeah, some, some, some quite big TV dramas. Mm-hmm. There was... Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called now. There was one that we watched that was um, where she was a lawyer and she sort of left the family law firm and, and gone to join this other big firm. The name will come to me. Uh, but yeah, she was the, sort of the lead in that. There's another kind of drama on at the moment with, that she's in. Yeah, she's advertising things on uh, BBC. Yeah, and Hattie Monaghan as well. Um, seen her in a few movies. She's in the, the live-action Beauty and the Beast. Is she? Yeah, oh, she is the, the witch who put the curse on the prince and turned him into the beast. Ooh. Um, but yeah, you see her in, in some quite big things. What, what else did I see her in? Is it Mr. Holmes? So there's a few years old now. You know the uh, Ian McKellen, yeah, Sherlock Holmes film? I think she was in that. I could be wrong. It's some film, like a period film that I've watched like that 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 recently. Yeah, uh, but yeah, in some ways, a bigger name than Paul McGann, both of them. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the I think exposure. it's just a, a tribute to Big Finish that they can attract these kind of um, actors and listening to the actors, they are generally enjoying themselves. Yeah. It's probably more like old-fashioned acting, really. They get a green room because these days, modern filming just sounds like you turn up, you do your bit. Yeah. You don't get sort of the camaraderie and the banter mm. and the rehearsals or anything anymore. Because I think they got Hayley Atwell back even after she'd been in Captain America, didn't they? In some of the early Tom Baker ones, she played the president of Earth. And to be fair, they're getting David Tennant back. And he, yeah. He's fairly big at the minute, I believe. So, uh, yeah. Pretty big, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it is good. Uh, and David Warner, obviously, is a, he's a, a <laughs> name for them to, yeah, uh, to um, keep coming back as well. I've got a bit of a running gag with my friend that David Warner and uh, Louise Jameson will be in everything. Yeah. <laughs> me, and my, me and my friend Mark on Twitter, we sort of like, uh, every time they do speculation and casting on the big finish where we say it'll be David Warner. Yeah. <laughs> so that ties up the. Oh, what is it called? So that ties up the finest hour. A um, bittersweet ending, but... Yeah, the aliens defeated. The correct one, I think, yeah. And the Doctor and Liv on their way to find Helen. But before they can find her, they, they hit a hiccup in the time vortex. Convenient. In the next story, How to Make a Killing in Time Travel, also by John Dorney. So this is... This thought was a very funny story. Yeah, now... Well, first time I listened to this box set, this was my favourite story, hands down. Re-listening it for this, I really struggled. And it's the same story, I don't know why, but I, possibly because I knew the outcome, mm-hmm. or whether just I wasn't in the mood for it, I don't know, or whether just fast, it doesn't work a second time, I don't know. But first time, I adored it. Second time, I have to say, I was tapping my finger a bit, so, and I don't know why, whether it was just the mood I was in or not, but uh, it's... I can see why I liked it the first time, but I really yeah. struggled the second time. It's interesting. I yeah. left quite a gap between listening to the first time and second time, and I, I possibly I don't the, have the a main character memory. who is like this. Um, I think we said before it's uh, like um, evil being perpetrated by somebody by accident. Yeah, and I found that charming the first time and very relatable. The second time, I just found it really irritating. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the character Strella Cushing. Yeah, 
played by Judith Roddy. I thought she was a great charismatic performance. Oh yeah, she I means she's really good. I mean, you can really feel for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's not an evil person. She's not a bad person. Everything she does, which causes death, doom, and disaster, is purely by accident and trying yeah. to trying to make things better for herself, makes things worse. She does like one tiny thing, which leads on to the next and to the next yeah. and the next. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, she's really good in it. So the what she's aboard the Scapegrace space station, which sort of reminded me a bit of Babylon Five. It's where different races and people come together to trade and uh, and this kind of thing. Um, the Doctor and Liv arrive because they've traced that as the source. Of and the, they can't leave as soon as they've oh, arrived. Whatever's happening is knackering the TARDIS, isn't it? Yeah, and so Strella Cushing is this sort of genius scientist who is trying to build a time machine for the man she works for. Who is a nasty piece of work, but very rich. Yeah, Cornelius Social Morningstar. commentary, that looks nice. He's called Cornelius Morningstar. Um, and he's got no redeeming features, basically. He's no, awful. He's horrible. He has made loads of money. You just think for a second he wants time travel so he could like witness things and then you realise he just wants to steal stuff and flog it. Yeah. Yeah. But but just for a second you think, actually, for all his bad faults, he actually wants to look into the past and learn, but no, he doesn't. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, Scaroth, isn't it? Or Count Scaglione, that he he wants to use time (laughs) travel or to manipulate time to plunder the past and make a profit from it. I just have visions of them both fighting over like the first uh, edition of Hamlet or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's really a similar light tone to City of Death as well. I think in yeah. that um, there's stuff going on, but there's never there's never a great sense of peril, is there? No, no, no. It, it's definitely a farce. And, yeah, uh, I say enjoyable, but so second time I just mm. didn't click. Don't know. So she accidentally kills a boss because he's awful to her all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets the time machine working. She's actually got it working. <laughs> but then the doctor comes in and switches it off. And thinks, well, that's it, job done. Um, I, and he, he sort of breaks it, but not to the extent that it can't be repaired once they've got time to get away. But they underestimate how clever she is, and she manages to switch it back, on, it again, back so. on again. Um, but in the meantime, she kills a boss and sort of hides him in this time vortex. Sort of and just the boss has incidentally sort of stolen the life savings of these giant scorpion creatures, hasn't he? Yeah. And they've sort of. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on, isn't there? And the brother of the queen of the scorpions is trying to kill her so she's so he has hired these two sort of small time crooks to steal the time machine as well well basically they're just maintenance people have just spotted an opportunity haven't they so they're not yeah. being career criminals they're just pretending to be in effect yeah that's one of it. them is like a giant teddy bear who has got his uh, translation device broken so he actually sounds like this uh, female voice much to his annoyance isn't it yeah and, and his delivery is wrong it's a bit like Yoda isn't it where the, uh, the words are in the wrong order so they witness the murder and try and blackmail Strella. And this is where things just escalate and she has to go to, to further and further lengths. So even though she's killed somebody and then ultimately she, she tries to blow up the two blackmailers, you still, because she's such a likeable, funny character, you are rooting for her the whole time to, to get away. And I think she, I, I know, I've got the feeling she's set up for further appearances yeah, you said and the uh, more I've thought about it, yeah, you're probably right, yeah, especially in a contained box set, they're probably, she may be, because uh, at the moment, the ravenous, the sort of pushing, it may be a result of something that's happened to Helen, Yeah, it might be the result of the, the schism that she's accidentally opened up with this uh, portal device she's developed, so, I mean, it's not... Yeah, I, I felt like she was, apart from the murder, she, she's quite... Compa- apart from the murder, she's quite she, nice, really. She's yes. quite companion material, isn't she? The fact she nearly blows up the university. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she did feel like companion material, and, and her scenes with Paul McGann, they, they did have good 
into place. So it would be good to see her back. I would like that. And there's a lovely um, security man who is yes. completely useless because he's not used to having any trouble whatsoever. Yeah. They confiscate all the weapons when people arrive so that there's nothing to happen. So when there's actually uh, crimes being committed, he's completely out of his depth, isn't he? He doesn't know what to do, mm. yeah. So he's completely led by the Doctor and Liv. And he says, well, you're civilians. He are contradicts himself mid-sentence. He says he's not yeah. going to do something that instantly does it. <laughs> but his office, is, he's got these incredibly powerful weapons that he's confiscated from, uh, from all these aliens, yeah. And star name time, it's Christopher Ryan, who's uh, Santoran and uh, Amidal. I didn't realise that. I still got it horribly wrong. Yeah, it is Christopher Ryan. Yes, you're quite right. Yeah, Christopher Ryan plays Mr. Macy, the... Uh... Obviously not recognisable. <laughs> no, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a good part though, isn't it? Uh, it's like that, you know, kind of uh, stupid policeman type of character that you, you get in a farce, I think. But at least admits it. Yeah. He doesn't pretend to be, like, ultra-efficient or anything. He just says, no, we don't do this. Yeah. I have no idea what we're doing. What we're doing. <laughs> so once everything is resolved there, um, and they, they stop Strella escaping, she, she kind of disguises herself to try and get off the space station, but the Doctor spots her and she, she's under arrest. But you don't really hold out much hope that... Macy's going to be able to contain her. No, or she's so clever. She's going to get away, isn't she? Yeah, she's not going to sort of face just. Probably set the building on fire by accident doing it or something. But uh, yeah, she'll. <laughs> yeah, this is something else that made me think she's she's bound to turn up again. There was no comeuppance, was there? Ending so yeah. No, um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? That uh, <laughs> just because she was kind of funny and bumbling and charming, that uh, she basically got away with it. Yeah, it's probably because you can put yourself into her position. Yeah. Very few of us know what it's like to be like a mastermind criminal, whereas yeah. a lot of us can sort of like anticipate accidentally causing problems and trying to get themselves out of it and making it worse. I mean, that's yeah. very human. Or wanting to kill your boss. Or wanting to kill your boss. Yeah. yeah. So with that resolved, the, the we're going to the, the last two CDs, which are it's a two-part story. And these are both by Matt Fitton. The first one being... World of Damnation. World of Damnation. So we pick up with the Eleven and Helen. So Helen hasn't been in the box set yet. And they're aboard... That was quite good as well. It was quite nice to have held her back without uh, plunging straight into it. So it just gave her trying to find her a bit more impetus. Didn't it? Yeah. They've actually had to work to find her rather than just stumbling across her straight away. That's it. And it, it increases anxiety for her, doesn't it? That we don't, we don't quite know what's happening. And it's given this relationship she's developed with Eleven time to develop as well. I think if they found her in the very next story, it would have come over as a bit hollow, really. But yeah. obviously, they've been together a long time now. Yeah, this is quite surprising. So they're, they're aboard a prison planetoid called Rikazon, and they've been held together, but they do seem to be it's in a romantic relationship, aren't they? They're certainly getting on. And yeah. He appears to be depending on her to calm him down and his other personalities. And she's just relying on somebody she can actually relate to in this, because this is not her world. And yeah. she's, um, she's, it sounds like a very frightening place, so I think she's relying on him just to get her through it. She's from 1960s London. She's, she's in the far-flung future Earth colony. There's aliens. She's in this futuristic prison. I like the idea of the prison, that the, the prisoners are transported around these sort of force field capsules that, mm -hmm. that sort of carry them along. It's quite easy to visualise and the way the, uh, the way, again, the way the sound design works. So and obviously done by Group 4 because they break down quite regularly. Yeah. <laughs> People escape with alarming regularity. So I thought Rikers on it sounds a bit like Rikers Island, which is the prison in New York, I think. Is it? I think it I'll is. I'll take your word for that one. Yeah, well, I was watching, um, what's it called? The Night Off, which was uh, this kind of American miniseries. Uh, it was a prison called Rikers Island, which I'm sure I've heard of before. I'm sure it's a real place. 
So I think it was sort of named for that. Mm. And this is run by Colony 23, which is, we have in the past had colonies with numbers. Colony 16 is where Brett Vine was born. Ooh. And Colony 9 is mentioned in the Ark in Space. And we later discover it's from the Robots of Death universe, isn't it? Because they talk about founding families and things like that. Yeah. In the later on in the story when they go to the actual planet. And um, it's definitely based in that history and lives from that era as well. So that she's, is, it's, it's from her. She's time. from Kaldor, isn't she? Yeah. And, uh, and this is another colony that's associated with this. I think they say that the Hundred Worlds or something like that. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, yeah. Matt Vincent's too good a writer to not talk about founding families and all that without it being a direct allusion to um, that time period. So it's Yeah, and, she, and the, the system, which is the, the computer that runs the prison, when she says, look me up, from Kaldor and called Lipchenko, they're able to access the records from Kaldor and confirm her identity. So. But the governor is experimenting on the, on the uh, prisoners. Yeah. With a familiar foe. Yeah, he's got a reformed prisoner working for him called the Candyman. <gasps> and it is the Candyman from the Stone Cold classic Sylvester McCoy story, The Happiness Patrol. Which is probably why we decided to review this story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, The Happiness Patrol is the first Doctor Who story I ever, ever saw. Uh, it was the one that got me into it. I know it doesn't have maybe the finest reputation among Doctor Who fans, but uh, yeah, it got me hooked. Mm. I had a black and white telly for years, and I watched The um, Happiness Patrol on that, and because it brought down the garishness of it, yeah. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. If you ever think you want to revisit that story, watch it in black and white. And it is really good that way. I think they wanted to make it in black and white originally, didn't they? Because they wanted to give it this noirish tone. Right, I can see that, yeah. But the, the powers that be at the BBC said, no, we're not putting out a prime time. You can't understand that, yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, and I suppose it's before Schindler's List and all that kind of stuff, so then you know, it came out in black and white. Probably the first time the Happiness Patrol and Schindler's List has ever been used in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to demean the Happiness Patrol there by... Uh, yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> with that really boring film. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, you do still see things now and again in black and white, don't you? It was Clark's, that uh, Kevin Smith film, that was in black and white, wasn't it? Oh, heavens, yes. And uh, never watched recolorized films either. I always hate that. Yeah. I saw a copy somebody gave me of uh, Night of the Living Dead, the colorized. Oh, it's horrible. Yeah. Watched it in black and white, as intended. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but this is definitely the Candyman from the book. It's not the Candyman from the TV series, isn't it? It's uh, it's not a man who looks like Bertie Bassett. It's a man that looks like he's human, just gelatinous. Ah, right. This is so, so the target novelisation has a different kind of... In the book, he's as... Um, is it Grant Curry? Mm-hmm. Uh, originally intended not to look like Bertie Bassett, but just look like a, a person... Right. ...but who is obviously shiny and sugary and syrupy in appearance, sort of like... Uh, Somebody's made of sugar rather right. than a man who's made of sweets. Uh, I will have read that, but many, many years ago, I'll need to yeah. revisit it. And I mean, you can tell from the cover of the box, it's not the Bertie Bassett Candyman. But they even say later on that he actually found him and he's had other forms. Yeah. So he found his bit somewhere, whether you found it on after the Candyman, uh, after the um, Happiness Patrol story or elsewhere, and I can't, I it, can't remember. But uh, It sounds from the dialogue, in it? Yeah, that. Um, the eleven or the seven, in fact. He sounds very different for a start, doesn't he? Yeah. He hasn't got the voice. He's a different actor. So. It's a different actor, but do you not think the, the delivery of his lines is like the characters in from Terra Alpha and the Happiness Patrol spoke? There's a. He's got the cadence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a particular way that they speak. He's got the uh, the sweetie puns. For a start. Yeah. 
Um, and the it kind of expands him a bit because the mm. he's not just a one-off villain. The Doctor says, "Well, he's been an Enforcer on loads of different planets." There's a bit of a hint that they've had other adventures as well as in that respect. Yeah, yeah, um, which I like. And so basically, he's he's supposed to be this reformed prisoner, and the governor's using the Candyman sweets to control the populace of the prison, with the exception of the Eleven and Helen, because Helen refuses the sweets. She says she doesn't have a sweet tooth. And because the Eleven's told her not to eat them. Yeah, so as we find out later. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, and the Eleven, it does work to some extent, but there's a difficulty in finding flavours that all his different personalities like. Yeah. Uh, so they, <clears throat> they help, but they, they can't fully control him. But as we find out, Candyman isn't really trying to control him anyway. Mm. So what we realise when the Doctor and Liv arrive fairly soon or I, I kind of realised fairly soon is there's two different sort of time frames here. I didn't okay. I was <laughs> first time I listened to it I was really baffled I was thinking oh what and then yeah. literally at the end of part three you twig that all the Helen story took place months before the Doctor Liv story yeah I, I think I guessed that soonish not before the end of part three um, because of the way everything's quite chaotic when the Doctor and Liv are there in, in a way that everything's under control and the other bit so I thought I just assumed it was a very big place and it hadn't reached where they were yet. <laughs> ah, right. and then that's, it wasn't until I got to the answer, oh, that makes more sense. Yeah. Well, it made me think that they weren't going to find Helen in this story. Mm. I thought they were going to deal with the aftermath of what Helen was dealing with. And by the end of the box set, they would still be looking for her. Um, but they, they do get to meet eventually. So as a uh, candy fan, did you like this interpretation of the Candyman and the way they were using it? I did. I did. I thought he was very good. Um, as I say, I, I like the actor playing him. He's got that he's sinister but charming. Um, and yeah, and the particular, I can't really describe it, but the way he speaks is, is like some of the, uh, the, especially the male characters in The Happiness Patrol deliver a line, quite sort of stylized. And I was a tiny bit disappointed he sounded different the first time, but as soon as I got into it, yeah, I, I appreciated it more, yeah. But uh, I missed that slightly sort of like uh, screeching tone of the original one. But, uh, yeah. I and I missed the spinning eyes. I wanted spinning eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Difficult to do on audio. True. Um, Even on a subtle line like, gosh, your eyes are spinning. Yeah. But it's it's because he's an android. It's basically just his software, I guess. Yeah. In, uh, in Biomechanoid, a, I think they, you know, they, they say at one point. Didn't they? Yeah. But he's still made of complex carbohydrates, isn't he? Is what they say. And Liv later claims that she's sucro intolerant, very intolerant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was a lovely line. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she does get some great lines in this. And they find a spider. Yeah, so what, what is actually happening? So the governor thinks he's just controlling the prisoners. The Candyman's helping him. They're using the secretions of this giant spider, which they call silk. And then the governor thinks he's going to make his fortune selling this technology to Colony 23. It will eradicate crime, calm everybody down, and he'll make loads of money. But what's actually happening is the Candyman is working with the Eleven, so we, then they must have been working together for some time for the... or have, have just. That's why you get the impression that um, Helen must have been separated from a long time and the, the uh, Eleven and the Candyman's relationship has been even longer because... Um, I think it's the Seven, isn't it? So the seventh incarnation of the Eleven that rebuilt the Candyman. And I think the Eight's the nice one. It wouldn't have anything to do with it for a while. And I think probably when the next one yeah. came along, literally with the weight of the Eleven to reactivate the plan, maybe. So yeah, and I guess because the, the 11th TARDIS is out of control, crashes into Rikazon. Something Helen does causes a massive disaster of some sort. Yeah, which is presumed as a man's power. She, she, she throws guards around and, and smashes stuff up. But yeah, I wonder if he re- rebuilt the Candyman and just happened to bump into them in this one. 
And then it was a case of... Oh, hello. Do you remember that plan we had ages ago? Yeah, let's... Uh, yeah, let's. So, so what they're actually going to do is take over Colony 23 and brainwash everybody into becoming a, a private army. Um, but Which they need a particular prisoner. So something called Jarl? Yeah, there's, there's Jarl who turns up with his cohorts who are called Ruzala and Crabhead. Which is the best name ever. Yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's a crab. He's a crab. Driving a big robot body. Uh, yeah, which is quite cool. And he's just resigned to the fact that everyone calls him Crabhead, isn't he? Yeah, he's got uh, like a, quite an intricate, complicated name and uh, nobody can remember it. Yeah, and it's just like kind of sloshing sounds as he tries to talk. <laughs> uh, so... And this jar just happens to be an incredibly powerful um, telepathic. I call it, like, um, I forget the word you use. He just makes people convinced of that. It makes yeah. everybody agree with him. Yeah, so if he's around and people are saying stuff, they just believe it. But he's also incredibly unstable. And this um, Rizal is like the only person who can really calm him down. And the effects of he gets very angry is uh, unfortunate for everybody. So. Yeah, he can just kill people telepathically and she just happens to be a criminal who just happens to use his powers by accident even though they're, they're friends but uh, she just happens to use his, all his powers and then it was all happened to end up in this prison yeah which makes you wonder how they got caught he does actually yeah <laughs> you can tell the guards to go away or the <laughs> policemen like yeah. there's no problems there yeah, yeah you, can, you think they'd be able to talk to talk them out of any situation maybe they found somebody that was immune or, or some robots or something like that don't pull on the threads no <laughs> So they may yeah. have made a line I missed, but uh, yeah. So the eleven takes Jarl to Colony Twenty Three, having killed the governor, um, and saved Liv and the eleven who the governor wanted killed. Mm. Pop down to the colony to uh, they've got another spider down there which is bigger, and they've set up all these factories to start using the silk to get the silk into these sweets that are going to go all over the world. And I think it's already in the food, and you get the impression uh, that yeah, they've, they've been doing this for a while now. Yeah, but it's uh, only for the plebs. Yes. Then there's a bit of a twist that they've put it all in the quality products as well, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, and the founding families are also getting taken over. Yeah, they think that they're safe. And there's a wonderfully ruthless bit where the Eleven, who doesn't get to be nasty that often, actually just throws Jarl to the spider, which is actually, yeah, I quite like that bit. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the sort of president of Colony 23 says, did you mean to do that? Goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... So now we're in part four, really, aren't we? Because yeah, we've uh, yeah we, we've we've crossed over in, into part four. Rosala sort of like takes the Doctor and uh, Liv hostage, and they steal a spaceship to to get to Colony Twenty Three. But um, Eleven's already convinced that the uh, the great and the good that these are well they are escaped prisoners. So the, yeah, to, uh, and the ship crashes basically. Yeah, the Doctor lands somewhere differently, doesn't he? He sort of falls out of the ship, or no, he he crashes the ship with Helen. And, oh, that's right. Yeah, so, and yeah. Liv and is is the hostage, and they go they escape in a they bailed out yeah. sooner or something like that. Yeah, in a convenient escape yeah. pod. Yeah, um, so they they get set up on by some thugs, but because Rosala's psychically linked with Jarl, they're all killed, and they realise uh, that he's he's trying to communicate with her because he's trapped with this spider and the spider. Sound effects. You get the impression that he died rather miserably too. Yeah, I was just sort of imagining exploding heads and stuff. I don't know yeah. about you, but uh, I get the impression it wasn't a pleasant way to go. Yeah. So the, the spider's web is going to amplify his power so that anybody who's eating the sweets is going to be taken over and, and join the Eleven's army. But what they haven't realised that Charlie's is more unstable than they imagined. Yes. So then people just who have any sort of negative thought probably stop dropping dead, don't they? <laughs> so it means that when the, the president tries to have the doctor killed... He has to persuade them not to shoot him, but otherwise yeah. all the guards are going to drop dead around him. 
Um, but in the meantime, he unmasks the eleven, and when they try and shoot him, they all drop dead. Um, so basically, they were stuffed. Yeah. So meanwhile, Liv manages to kill the Candyman, which uh, does she? She pours some thing on top of it. Yeah, but it's something that the eleven's already prepared, isn't it? The eleven yeah, prepared yeah. this. Um, those anti-sugar stuff. In one of the factories. Yeah, yeah. they just haven't stumbled across it because they're already intending to blow the factory up anyway. But, um, because she's actually, the, um, Rosala, she's like the ringleader of quite a big gang, isn't it? And actually yeah. go to their base of operations and to find all the, their criminal friends dead because yeah. they all had negative thoughts. But they also found a load of weapons and stuff. So, yeah. Again, if, but if it's sort of like Joel knew them, it makes me wonder why they die but maybe it was just like on mass by this point yeah it's just a just a reflex or something by, the, by that point it's like there's a red dwarf episode like this in a way um, the 11 sort of planning to kill oh is it sorry I gonna, there's a red dwarf episode where Lister goes to that prison and every time he thinks about doing something wrong it happens oh it happens to, to them yeah. yes <laughs> yes that's a good one in the days I still watched it yeah. Um, yeah so in the end 11 was already planning to betray the Candyman in fact he got all his stuff yeah. Didn't realise he probably still needs him for a bit, but the the overall plan was to use Helen in the first place. So the relationship he's been cultivating with Helen was basically just to use her as a reserve in case Joel or somebody of his talent didn't work out. Yeah, so it was yeah, but it seemed quite genuine up to that point. I and think, she's really mortified. Yeah. And what is interesting at this point is the doctor hasn't trusted Helen at no. this point at all, has he? he he's been implied as of it, but there's been an atmosphere between them. Yeah, he immediately senses that she's different. Mm. I think at the end of part three, he says, "I don't think that's our friend, or I do whatever's happened to her. I don't think he, I don't think and she's the same." Angry at that because she doesn't see that at all. Yeah, and Helen's obviously hurt and betrayed by this, isn't she? You yeah. can tell that she's. Um... But the doctor's psychic as well. He... What did you think about that? It, it was kind of unlike the doctor, wasn't I it? I thought it was a bit out of character for to be so obvious about it. Yeah, I think other times when. I don't know, I'm trying to think of other times when companions have been taken over. She had quite often, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah. But usually he doesn't let on, and at the end he goes, ha-ha, I knew all the time. Yeah. I suppose if she hasn't been taken over, I suppose this is the reverse of that. So. Mm. But it didn't quite sit true with me for some reason. I thought he, the Eighth Doctor would have been more subtle about it, I think, more yeah. polite about it. Yeah, or even talk to her and say, yeah. what has happened to you, you know, I don't think you're the same or something, yeah. I'm sorry, but I'm struggling, or something like that. Yeah, mm. or maybe because the Doctor is developing, the Eighth Doctor has become darker. If mm. you think about it from the original stories with Charlie, he has got darker and darker and darker. So maybe that's just where he is now. Yeah, he's been been through a lot because uh, his great grandson, the death of his great grandson and Lucy Miller, um, had it, a massive effect, on which led on to darker. I think. Yeah, that was that was the end of those sort of monthly releases, wasn't it? Happy days. Uh, <laughs> Everybody's dead. Right. <laughs> Uh, but in the end, they, they defeat the Eleven, don't they? They do, but in the meantime, they've heard strange and mysterious voices in the background. Yeah, so... Which is the first hint of the Ravenous. The, well, the Doctor's trapped in the web at one point, and he mentions the Ravenous. Uh, and then at the end, the Eleven sort of wakes up. And he's aware of them, and mm. obviously nothing to do with him, because he's absolutely terrified of the idea, isn't he? Yeah. Or well, some of him are, anyway, so... Uh, so who are the To be concluded. Yeah. It sort of reminded me of, you know, at the end of some of the early Eighth Doctor se series where the, di the divergence are trying to break through and you can sort of hear voices and sort of clamouring. 
when um, possibly is it, is before he goes into the divergent universe at the, it was at the end of Zagreus oh right um, before that there's a whole oh he's aware of the planet yeah because well, I think from the moment that he saves Charlie causes all kinds of problems in the web of time doesn't it and the yeah. ultimate culmination of that um, oh yes like the end of season uh, of the few when uh, the thing turns up and kills all the characters we liked and that kind of thing yeah right. and then the divergence are trying to break through and it's from this universe that Rassilon tried to Annexed, sort of basically, uh, yeah, yeah sealed off and that's the end of Zagreus he travels into that universe and I think they curtailed it because it wasn't very popular but he travelled around in that universe I think universe the new series was coming back wasn't it and they didn't want to have ah like, like an a, ongoing yeah. story right yeah, they were so no longer doing like the, the the ongoing adventures of Doctor Who, were they? But yeah. and again, I don't think it was very popular. I, I, they're not my favourite stories. I have to I say, I didn't enjoy them as much. I think the first two seasons of Paul McGann were big. Oh, I think they're classic. Yeah, I think they are probably yeah. the peak. Yeah, of what of a lot of what they did. I mean, they did they did no wrong up until the Grays, and then after that it was. Yeah, I mean, I really intriguing. enjoyed the Grays. I know it wasn't that popular. I think because maybe because it was a fortieth anniversary story that people wanted. I think they were victims right. of their own success. They did, did have that build-up of, sort of like uh, talking about the Grace before the other releases, hadn't they? Yeah. Like the Cow should say that rhyme and stuff like that. Yeah. Then when it actually came to it, the Grace didn't really do a great deal, did it? No. There was an 18-month gap as well, wasn't there, from yeah. the, the, whatever the cliffhanger was. He was a bit rude was. to Charlie, and that pretty much it, really. There was no sort of like uh, worlds being destroyed. Or anything. No. It was but stories like Seasons of Fear. Uh, it's yeah, a superb it's story. And um, Chimes of Midnight. There's, there's some... Some terrific ones in there. I mean, uh, Stones of Venice is probably one of my all-time favourite yes. Doctor Who stories. I adore that. If yeah. people ever say to me, what's your favourite Doctor, I would say Stones of Venice. You know? Yeah. I'd probably listen one. to that one more than any other match. Mm. Yeah, there's some, yeah, these first two seasons, some, some excellent stuff. So the big question is, do you want to find out what happens next? Yes. Very much so. And hopefully we'll have the Candyman and Strella Cushing back. <laughs> Stella Cru- Strella Cushing. <laughs> Peter's younger daughter. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And I wonder who they'll bring back into, because I noticed that um, Ravenous, they brought a character back from another line, and the previous Doom Coalition brought to River Song was for, like, from a previous line. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So when there's a master plan to get more connected, or just... Uh, a way of advertising their other products, I don't know, but well, they've, intrigued. they've announced this, uh, is it 20 years of Big Finish? There's going to be have, a yeah. big release box set next year. The name escapes me, but it's uh, it's going to be a, a lot Practically of... Practically everything in it. they uh, got River Song and uh, Benny meeting and things like that, haven't they, which I'm quite pleased with. That's a nice idea, I think, because the, the similarities between those characters that, uh, that could... And rather sadly, finishing countermeasures as well. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, it was on the uh, podcast, the Big Finish podcast, the weekend. Somebody had written us to say there's nothing else available, and the character meeting for this um, for this is it going to be the conclusion of the countermeasure? And they more mm-hmm. said, yeah, um, it's not selling as well as we'd hoped, and uh, that that which is a shame because I rather enjoyed the countermeasure stories. But yeah, I haven't heard any of them, but I, I do plan to listen to them. Uh, and countermeasures were back in the Ben Aronovich and Andrew Cartmel comic three three issue comic story that came out it's called oh, operation know, uh, volcano i didn't buy the comic so i didn't know that. i don't buy them all because there are a few different ranges but they did a like they did with the the third doctor paul cornell wrote a, a sort of a five or six issue arc this was a three issue arc um which is brilliant pedigree with ben aronovich and andrew cartmel they it was the seventh doctor and ace countermeasures team 
Really, really good story. Very good. I suppose another problem with the countermeasures is that eventually they're going to cross into unique territory the longer the, the storyline goes yeah. on. So, um, um, and you haven't got Nicholas Courtney and... Um, they're superseded, basically. Yeah. Yeah. That was a bit of a segue. There we are. <laughs> there we go. So just before we go, next weekend, you and I will be at the Warp Convention in Manchester. Ooh. Very much looking forward to that. Yes, I really need to knuckle down and study what's going on because it seems to be a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, and I think there's the, there's a lot of panels that are going to because be because of events. Time. It's rather crept up on me. I'm afraid. I kept thinking, oh, it's not until September. Well, let's now. <laughs> yeah, so this is <laughs> pretty sun- much Sunday, the 9th of September at the Print Works in Manchester. I think there are tickets still available. I believe so. Yeah, still so still advertised. They're all virtual tickets. Yeah, everything's virtual. I don't feel it. I quite believe it yet because it's just on my phone. It doesn't yeah. feel real. <laughs> we'll see. Um, but the, they're tweeting loads of stuff. It, it does look really cool, like the mm-hmm. landline. And they're still announcing guests. I mean, I think they announced Crystal D the other week that uh, yeah. she's going now. And uh, like, uh, there's some uh, collection of like uh, female Doctor Who fans. They, their group there going. The, the Time Ladies. Doctor, time Ladies, that's yeah. Right yeah, yeah um, Beth and, and Crystal and uh, so. yeah, Kezia. Yeah, it'd be really good to, to see meet some people, I think. My only down thing is the couple of things I have actually checked out are happening at the same time, which is a bit of a shame. But... <laughs> This is the trouble. There's going to be some tough decisions, I think, to make with the panels that are on at the same time. And then if you want to get any autographs or photos, you're going to miss some panels. But it seems like a really packed day. And hopefully it's a big success. It'll become an annual event. Fingers crossed. I mean, uh, as I say, it's, it's a lot of people going. Well, a lot of people in my timeline anyway, so it'll be interesting. Yeah, I feel like that as well. Every time they, they tweet anything, it seems like a lot of people on my timeline are there. So if anybody listens to the podcast, come up and say hello. Unless we're all, it turns out to be about seven people and we just follow each yeah. other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, be, 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 um, be really good and looking forward to meeting some people there. Mm. Thank you very much for joining me today. It's been a, a pleasure discussing Ravenous 1 with you. I've enjoyed it, thank you. And I look forward to Ravenous 2. Mm. Thank you very much for listening at home. Goodbye. <laughs>